What occupies your time? Join Integrative OT to learn about what occupational therapy is, how it can help in just about any area of your life, and why it only takes a few tweaks to your habits, routines, and roles for you to become empowered. How you live your life is important. Let's discover healthy ways of being and doing together. Let's live a meaningful life on purpose. Welcome everyone to episode six. Today I am talking about how OTs can work with trauma and what makes our approach different from other healthcare professionals. I chose to name this episode Occupational Deprivation because of how trauma cuts us off from relationships, engaging in meaningful occupations, and limits our holistic wellness in general. I recently became a certified trauma practitioner and I'm so excited about that. Cannot wait to share with y'all what I've learned. Originally, I had planned to have guest interviewer on today in honor of Black History Month and discuss the concept of occupational justice, but unfortunately, she is sick, so we will save that for episode seven, hopefully. In thinking about which topic I would discuss instead, I actually thought trauma and occupational deprivation would be equally as fitting since so much of our collective trauma as a country has to do with inequalities that a lot of us are born into. So I think the best way to start would be with a few kind of clarifications and definitions of what exactly we will be discussing. So most of y'all know by now that what occupation means and OTs think that occupation means anything, any meaningful activity we occupy our time with. Trauma can be thought of in two ways, big T trauma and little t trauma. So big T trauma are the things that the general public would think of when you hear the word trauma. Things like massive car wrecks, um, assaults, rape, war veterans coming home with amputations, etc. Little t trauma are things that happen in our daily lives because we are humans interacting with other imperfect humans. So the way that I define trauma is basically any distressing experience where you feel helpless. That out of control feeling is is a part is a big part of why it is stored as trauma. In the certification course I took, they defined it as experiences that negatively impact the way in which you see yourselves, others, and the world around you. And I thought that is such an OT definition, in my opinion, because it's looking at the person, the occupations we engage in, and the environment. So this is where I think OTs can really step in and enter the picture in a way that's very different from others. Talk therapy or um, narrative therapy, cognitive-based therapy, those are effective ways to treat trauma for sure. But where OTs could come into play that's different is using meaningful occupations to allow people to elicit that relaxation response that we discussed last episode and to re-engage with occupations that may have been given up due to depression from the trauma or fear after the trauma. We also have a huge library of sensory strategies that other therapists don't have as part of their skill set. What this way of holistically looking at the mind, body, spirit trifecta does is help bring that sense of groundedness and safety back to the body. That is something that is so big with sensory strategies. 
the body holds on to memories and traumas in our tissues. It's not something that's just in our mind that we can simply think about differently or stop thinking about. Our body holds that trauma. Okay, so let's look at some trauma basics, nervous system 101 kind of stuff. I'm going to be talking for a second about polyvagal theory, which is a theory that I absolutely love and it resonates hugely with me. Um, Your central nervous system is made up of your brain and your spinal cord. And in your central nervous system, you have what's called the autonomic nervous system. So I think of autonomic as things that happen automatically, we don't have to think about them. So this is going to be regulating the parts of your body like breathing, the beating of your heart, those things, digesting your food. There are three branches of the autonomic nervous system, two of which are really important to us. Sympathetic, which has always been thought of as kind of your fight, flight, or freeze. And then parasympathetic, or your rest and digest. So in polyvagal theory, our nervous system is thought of as like a ladder. So we have what's called a ventral state, which is classified as the feeling, uh, feeling connected, feeling at ease, very empowered, online with that prefrontal cortex, where we use executive functioning skills. So basically, that means where we do our planning, our problem solving, emotional regulation, those things are in our prefrontal cortex. So we are inside our window of tolerance here in the ventral state of that ladder. As we come down the ladder, we enter our sympathetic space where we tend to feel overwhelmed, anxious, irritated, kind of chaotic. So we're very activated here. We are fueled by adrenaline. You can also think of this as like a traffic light instead of a ladder if that's if that's easier for anybody. So green would be feeling ready to go, ready to take on the world. Yellow would mean feeling very alerted to a state shift that's happening inside of us. And then red, or in polyvagal language, that would be dorsal. So in this space, we are essentially unresponsive. We have crawled into our cave And we are feeling things like despair, hopelessness, very buried. Um, The way that I remember this is dorsal, which is a medical terminology word for basically back. So think about it like you're on your back. You've had the wind knocked out of you. You're laying on your back. You're done. Ventral means front, which we can remember as being open-hearted, receptive to what life has. So that's another way that um, I help myself remember that. So trauma also has another piece to play with the brain because traumatic experiences are stored differently than regular short-term and long-term memories. Traumas are basically stored as if the event is frozen in time. So when we experience a big T or little t trauma, it's stored kind of like a snapshot in our brain. So whatever we um, are smelling, hearing, feeling, when that trauma happens, it is stored just like that. So we can get triggered back into that traumatic moment if we, say, smell the same smell or hear the same sound or something like that. We go back to that moment of trauma And we are instantly down that polyvagal ladder or the stoplight. So I want to look now into how traumas happen. 
obviously the big T traumas are things outside of our circumstances. Um, there's a study that's called the adverse childhood experiences. So essentially what that is, is a predictor of adult trauma from experiences in our childhood. So um, whether that looks now like set up patterns of unhealthiness, poor well-being all the way around, it can look like abuse, whether emotional, physical, sexual, it can look like neglect, again, emotional and physical there, or household challenges. So that would be like domestic violence in your house when you were growing up, substance abuse, where either one of your parents diagnosed with a mental illness or perhaps should have been diagnosed with a mental illness and didn't get that help. Um, parental separation, divorce, a parent dying or going to jail. It's actually estimated that over 12% of the population have four or more of these adverse childhood experiences. Which if you take this assessment and you score four or more on this, you are 14 times as likely to attempt suicide, four and a half times more likely to develop depression, two times as likely to have liver disease, four times as likely to have sex early, and 11 times as likely to abuse intravenous drugs. That is mind-blowing. So I just want you all to think about those numbers for a second. Almost 70% of the population has at least one experience on this assessment. And obviously four, then if you have four of these are the things I just mentioned. If you have six of these or more, it's been estimated that you can die 20 years earlier than those who don't have any. Dr. Block was the former president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and Dr. Block said, quote, adverse childhood experiences are the single greatest unaddressed public health threat facing our nation today. So the neurological saying of neurons that fire together, wire together, is incredibly true. So it's really important, no matter what age we are, to examine our childhoods and see if we grew up or who we grew up around, impacted our view of life, our patterns of behavior, healthy and unhealthy, our relationships. Emotional regulation is something that begins at home. Um, really, it begins at birth and by what's taught to us. So John Bowlby um, said that our basic and foundation sense of self is essentially formed by the age of about six or seven. And obviously, that's not to say what you got from birth is seven dictates who you are. Um, actually, epigenetics has found that we get a really big say in our genes and our DNA and how, how that plays out and replicates itself for children and future generations. Um, if you have time on your hands and you want to look at the coolest study about epigenetics, you should look up the Siamese cat experiment it was really interesting. Epigenetics actually played a really big role into how Siamese cats coloring has come to be. So if you have free time and want to do that. That's also not to say that if you had a picture perfect childhood, which I'm not sure that exists, but if you had a relatively normal childhood without trauma, that doesn't mean that you're exempt from trauma. Like I said before, if you are a human interacting with other humans, you will experience trauma. 
Um, internal family systems is a theory that's really interesting to me and has always fascinated me. It's something used by a lot of trauma therapists and social workers. It looks at the level of dysfunction and harm that causes and gives insight into like secure and non-secure attachments. Um, that's something that I go into in depth if you work with me on um, any kind of trauma related stuff. But essentially poor attachment would be due to a couple, it could be due to a couple of different things, but it is dysregulating with our primary caregivers. It shows up as feelings of like isolation, loneliness, um, poor self-esteem, low self-worth and value, a need for acceptance or belonging, which can lead to attention-seeking behaviors and maladaptive coping strategies. Um, it can look like opposition to authority, etc. I see this happen a lot in parenting with parents who feel really ill-equipped to handle the everyday stressors that come from just having children, um, let alone if you have a special needs child or um, some of the other adverse childhood experiences we talked about earlier. So they may have, the parents here may have even learned inadvertently from their parents rather unsavory means and methods um, of parenting or just never took the time for introspection and self-kindness and self-compassion um, because of what they grew up in and had to deal with. So our patriarchal culture doesn't do the best job with stigmas, gender norms, traumas. Um, we tend to live these things out in secrecy in our homes. Um, a really awesome YouTube docu documentary called The Mask You Live In is just fantastic. It is specifically about uh, men and boys who have to deal with this kind of putting on a mask um, to like toxic masculinity is kind of what the documentary goes over. But if you have time to watch it, it is just, it is life changing. It's, it's really worth watching. One of my favorite things about working with trauma in my OT work is the amount of curious examining that happens. I love that trauma treatment's main focus centers on interoception, which will be a whole nother podcast on its own because it is something that I am crazy passionate about, and using what we already have within ourselves to heal. We all already have what we need to heal. We just sometimes need to be reminded and have someone support us in the process of refinding that in ourselves. I do a lot of grounding exercises where we come back to a safe, calm base and we look at what resources we can call on for support, um, resiliency training. Trauma work is so important because being in this hyperactive state of stress can lead to chronic health conditions such as autoimmune disorders, uh, heart issues, strokes, chronic migraines, stomach issues like IBS or ulcers. It can it leads a lot of people to sleep disorders, PTSD. It lowers our immune function. Um, it can show up like depression, anxiety, rage, uh, mood disorders. Going back to the PTSD part, maybe nightmares or night terrors. Uh, but just less ability in general to independently perform our ADLs and our IADLs. So those activities of daily living and the instrumental activities of daily living. 
Um, And it leads to a lack of intimacy with family and friends and children, partners. It can even be misdiagnosed as ADHD, panic disorder, or borderline personality disorder, which is a mood disorder kind of characterized by poor emotional regulation. A lot of trauma leads to maladaptive coping strategies and addiction because this is how the person experiencing a trauma was able to survive. They disassociated and they found something that met their need for them when trauma had taken something from them. So a lot of people develop addiction because whatever they're addicted to either helps them numb out from those intense feelings or sometimes it can help actually be able to feel something. There's a lot of people who who are not in touch with their bodies um, because in order to survive, they had to leave their bodies, essentially. Um, sometimes a lot of the people will tell me that they feel betrayed by their body. Um, so there's definitely a mind, body, and spirit connection there with trauma. We know that trauma shapes our identity and our roles, our beliefs, spirituality, and relationships. Those are all client factors that are listed out in the OT practice framework. Um, and should and those are items that should be assessed in an initial OT evaluation. I actually took a specific mindfulness course that was trauma focused and have had a lot of success with that. Going back to it, what interoception is and being able to feel into our body, um, I I love to do mindfulness meditation. I think that that's a nice way to connect all three things: mind, body, and spirit. Obviously, it's not for everyone, Um, but I think being an OT specifically helps with this, like that you actually do something meaningful. Like I said, talk therapy definitely has its place, but what I love about OT is that you are actually doing, you are engaging in something that means something to you and you are healing through that. I also love expressive arts, um, art in general. And I love how OT's um, Cala River model kind of ties into this trauma. So the Cala River model is something that OTs can work with. It's where the client actually draws their, their river, the river of life for them. And it's very subjective to what that client is experiencing and has experienced. Um, I do, so I do a lot of, I also do a lot of movement. I have done over 10 years of, um, classical dance training and so dance is something that's very very sacred to me and I I love the movement that you you can do and and help work through some of the trauma Um, like I said before it's definitely stuck in the body as well so uh, there's actually a trauma certification for yoga because there's specific yoga poses that help kind of move the trauma through I also love sensory integration strategies, and I have personally seen strategies like the bilateral stimulation, like um, EFT tapping and EMDR, the eye movement desensitization. Those have worked wonder worked wonders on me personally. Um, so I was really excited to to dive into that on this course that I just took, um, and would highly recommend it to anyone. Like I said, the body holds the trauma, so as the saying goes, you need to feel it to heal it. Um, The Body Keeps the Score is a great book. I'll add that into the show notes. Um, But in closing, if you are interested in working through some stuff that has 
continue to creep up and interfere with those activities of daily living or the instrumental activities of daily living. Um, If you need a refresher on what those are, you can go back to episode one and give it a quick listen. Or if you feel like there may be some unhealthy coping skills or habits and patterns that you just kind of can't shake, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I am really excited about bringing this new information into my practice um, and helping people find it within themselves easier, finding those resiliency strategies and those grounding safe sensations to work through some stuff. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed hearing this episode as much as I enjoy talking about it. (laughs) Make sure to send this out to whoever you know that may benefit from it. And remember to get curious about the why behind what we do. Every single one of us has experienced trauma and unfortunately probably will again before we leave this world. But it's again like it's it's that building resilience and staying full of grace and self-compassion that will see us through. So stay hope-filled, guys. Thanks. All right, guys, that's it for Integrative OT. Thanks so much for listening. I hope something resonated with you. Please share it with a friend and drop me a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find me. Look forward to talking with you guys again soon. Bye.